please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 25 through 34. We'll be looking at seven reasons to fight anxiety. Before we get going, I want to just say a few things about uh, these verses and about anxiety itself. Um, You will see that these verses begin with therefore. So what you need to realize is that there is a connection between what comes today and what came last Sunday with Brother Josh preaching. Um, that, That these verses apply to those who have decided that they are going to store their treasures up in heaven. Uh, It is for those who have decided that they are going to serve God and not money. And so it's very important that we understand that these verses don't apply to unbelievers or people that are not seeking God's glory. This applies to those who have made the decision to serve God. Next thing I want us to think about is that anxiety tends to be a sin we tolerate. While there's some sins we won't tolerate, where there's some sins we, uh, we look at others and we call them out, or especially in our own heart, we, we say that's wrong. Anxiety and worry is something that a lot of times we just sit there and we, we, we sin in this way and we never really acknowledge how it is really going against the sovereign and good God that's over our lives. So I think we just need to acknowledge that, right? That, that, that anxiety and worry is something that's in a lot of our lives and we don't generally dwell upon it as a sin that needs to be removed. But this morning I want us to think of it for the sin that it is. And I also want to say and, and honestly bring out that I've personally struggled with this issue the last couple of months as I've been dealing with my pancreatitis that came and uh, trying to figure out what the cause was. And so uh, I've experienced the weight to hear from an MRI. I've experienced the weight of waiting on the results of a biopsy. And I found that pastorally, it's easy to speak pastorally. The people that are waiting on their own test and say, oh, God is sovereign. He's good. Whatever happens is going to be good. It's easy to say that. But when you're the person waiting on your biopsy report, when you're the person waiting on your MRI report, it's a totally different story. And I, I will admit that there have been moments of failure in my life in recent days. And I, I thought about this, that two weeks ago when I preached, I preached on fasting and admitted that, that that's a struggle in my life, that I've never been really good at that spiritual discipline. And so, if you want a pastor that's just going to tell you that I have it all figured out, that I never struggle with the things that I preach on, then you need to go down to the street and find a, 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 a different pastor. Because I want to be someone that is up front, that is real, that's to tell you that in recent days, I've absolutely failed and had some very weak faith in some moments, some dark times. And so I needed these verses. These, I needed these verses to challenge my own soul in the failures that I've had in recent days. With all that being said, let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, 
what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we, uh, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." And so I believe that there are roughly seven reasons that are given here of uh, why we should fight against anxiety. And, and, and they vary from deeply theological to very practical. And so the first one I want to look at in verse 25 is this. Don't be anxious because life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Verse 25 tells us this. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. So here's how Jesus introduces the argument against anxiety. He asks, is life more than food? Is life more than food? What does this mean? It means that life itself is bigger than what sustains life. If God blessed you with life, then you would, then why would He not also give you what you need to sustain that life? And second, He asked this, is the body more than clothing? Again, He is saying, look, God has given you a body to walk this earth with, and if He's done that, is He not going to give you clothes to put on that body so you don't have to walk around in shame? He is saying, look, look what I've already given you. I've given you life itself. I've given you a body. Why are you worrying about me giving you the lesser things that you need to sustain that life and to close to put on that body? The fight against anxiety is about... Uh, the fight against anxiety about what we need in the future starts with gratitude to what He has already given us. We, are, we worry about food because we're not amazed enough by the fact that He's given us life. And we worry about clothing because we do not find ourselves amazed enough about the fact that we have a physical body. And we have a physical body that's going to be glorified and turned into an eternal body. And that if God's given given us this body then why would he not clothe it so much of the old 
Testament is, is designated for remembrance. That seems to be how God spurs His people forward by telling them, look what I've already done for you. It's a huge theme in the Old Testament. He always talks about the fact that He brought them out of Egypt. That He parted the Red Sea so that they could walk through it and that He could destroy that army that was chasing them. He's always pointing back to the fact that I took care of you in the wilderness. Many of the feasts were designated for remembrance of something that God had done in the past. We see that in the Scriptures that many times the Old Testament they're called to build, to stack up stones of remembrance. Of Ebenezer. So that they could look back and remember what God has done so that they would have confidence about what God is going to do. We see this carry over in the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. That that is a, an act of remembrance of how we remember the cross and the sacrifice of Christ that brought us salvation. And so Jesus is saying is, remember what I've done. Spend more time in gratitude of what I've done in the past instead of worrying about whether or not I'm going to take care of you in the future. Look to the past. I gave you life. I'm going to give you food in the future. I gave you a body. I'm going to make sure you have clothes on that body in the future. And so, one of the greatest ways that we can fight anxiety is by gratitude in what He has already given us. He's already proved Himself to be faithful to us time and time again. Second is that we are not to be anxious because you are of more value than the birds. Verse 26, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Look at, um, um, and, your heavenly, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than they are? This is one of two examples from nature that Jesus will use to kind of flesh out His point that God, the God who made us will be the God who cares for us. He tells us to look to the birds and at how God provides for them. They don't plant crops. They don't have barns uh, or anywhere to store their food, and, and yet, there they are, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, century after century, the birds go on living. In fact, it's hard, if you're outside, it's hard to, to look any distance and not see a bird. And that should remind us that they're here, yet they don't worry, they don't they don't store up. That, that God simply takes care of them. And there are a few things I want you, I want you to see about this. This first is that Jesus is bringing out the dignity of man. Jesus clearly indicates that there is a distinct difference between the value of a bird and the value of man. Though some would try to tell us we are animals just like the rest of the beasts, that there is no difference. Jesus' teaching is that man has dignity that is far beyond birds or any beasts. We were created in God's image. Created to have fellowship with Him and therefore enjoy a dignity and importance far beyond 
any creature, any bird. Okay, You may love your dog, but have you ever seen your dog contemplate his meaning in life? He just wants a snack. Have you ever seen your dog, your chickens, praying? We are altogether totally different. He is their creator. He is our Father. And that's what I want to see. The next thing I want us to see is the sonship of man. And, And this is what he says about the birds. He says, And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Your heavenly Father feeds them. What we can easily miss here is Jesus' acknowledgement of a special relationship of father and child that he has with us that he does not share with the rest of his creation. He is the creator of the birds. He is the father of those who have turned to him. That's huge. And we also see that there's a responsibility of man. That this is not a call to passivity. These verses, don't get these verses wrong and think that, well, I don't need to worry about anything. I can quit my job. I can quit paying my mortgage. And God's going to take care of me. No, that's not the case. We see, we know that, that Jesus, that, that God feeds the birds through what? Through their work. They're busy, right? They may not store up in barns their food, but they have to go out and gather. When you see birds, they're almost always flying around, what? Looking for food, because that's the way God has ordered things. And so, God is not saying just set back and wait for Him to drop everything that you need for life in your, in your lap. That's not how nature works. That's not how God has arranged things. God has said if, if someone will not work they will not eat so don't let these verses bring you to passivity because what these what these verses is talking about is that we have a responsibility and those are the things that god has given us to make sure that we have what we need for life that our family has what we need for life and then there are concerns things that are out of our control and those are things we pray uh, to god about and we turn them over to god and we let god handle those things but the responsibility just like the birds have responsibility to go out and to look for food we have a responsibility to do the things that god has ordered in our life to bring about the things that we need the third reason that we should fight anxiety is is that we should not be anxious because it has no benefit to you verse 27 it says and which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life. I mean, here Jesus almost goes entirely practical. You can put aside the monumental fact that there is a sovereign God at work that loves you, put that amazing fact to the side, and ask the question what does anxiousness help? What does worrying help? Anxiousness is in and of itself a powerless act. 
they're worrying about that health, that, that, that MRI or that biopsy or that uh, whatever's coming up in your life that you have no control over. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times over the last couple months that I've been online trying to diagnose, you know, what's going on with my body, and that's never good. That brings about all kinds of worry. And it never in any way is going to change the impact of that test or that, the results of that test that I have coming. It's powerless. There's an English proverb that says, worrying is like sitting on, in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Mark Twain said this, I've had a lot of worries in my life, most of which never happened. This anxiety of, uh, this idea of anxiety being powerless is not exclusively Christian. This idea is, is probably available in every religion and every, uh, every, act, every thought of atheism that worrying doesn't change anything. And long before we had English Proverbs and we had Mark Twain, we had Jesus being very practical and telling us, listen, worrying doesn't change a thing. It's not going to add, all the worry in the world isn't going to add a single hour to your life. So why? Why feed it? Why engage in it? And fourth, don't be anxious because unlike the grass, you are eternal. In verse 28, Jesus gives us the second illustration from nature by comparing us to the grass of the field. Verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is, is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? The idea of the arraignment of plant life should not be hard for us to consider in this moment. We stand less than a week into the first week of uh, less than a week into spring, and we see plant life coming alive before us. Our eyes see it. Our sinuses feel the effects of it. Have you seen the azaleas this year? Amazing. Amazing. But many of these blooms we enjoy are temporarily. I've already, we, are, we had our tulip tree bloom in January, and those blooms are gone. They have fallen to the ground and shriveled up. Even the leaves that are springing forth in this moment and, and those just powerfully green leaves coming out on those trees in seven months, they too will fall to the ground and rot. And notice what Jesus says about the grass. And, and this would have been a culture where they used grass for cooking. They would have put the grass in the oven to heat it up to cook. That would have been a daily activity. And so he says, God takes care to, to make that grass and to bring it about in all of its glory, even though today it's there and the next day it's thrown in the oven and burned. So Jesus is saying, look at the care He gives to plant life. 
that is here today and it's gone tomorrow. Now look at yourself. You are the one form of life on this earth that belongs to eternity. Folks, you belong to eternity. And if you think God's going to take great care with the grass that's thrown in the oven tomorrow, how much more is He going to clothe you who belong to His eternity? He says, open your eyes and see God's care all around you for temporary things and then look to yourself as an eternal being. And what do you think? What do you think God's going to do? He'll care for you. It truly takes uh, little faith to, to, to not see God all around us and His care for which he, uh, he takes care of nature and then He says He will take care of us in the same way. Let us have big faith. Let us have great faith that the God who takes care of the birds, that the God who takes care of the grass, is going to take care of our eternal souls. Fifthly, don't be anxious because it is not the godly way to live. Verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Listen to me. To live in anxiety is to live as a functional atheist. Think about how we come to God. How did we come to God? How does He become this Father who knows our need and cares for us. How does that happen? We come to God through the blood of His Son. The very first act in us becoming His, to become His Son and He become our Father who cares for us, the very first act that had to happen to make that possible was for God to kill His very own Son. To shed His blood for us. If our becoming God's child costs such a price to God the Father, then how could we possibly live in anxiety that He will ever cut us off from His goodness? Is this not the point of Romans 8.32? When it says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? If the very first act of sonship was the Father killing His very own Son on our behalf, will He not give us everything we need day by day until our time on this earth is done? Once one becomes a Christian, there should remain in him or her no doubt that God is for you. If He gave you Christ, will He not give you food? If He gave you Christ, will He not give you clothing? Of course He will. 
to live in constant anxiety is to live outside of the reality of the gospel of a God who's already given you everything. He's given you what is most precious to Him. And how will He not take care of you in so many smaller other ways? Sixth, don't be anxious because it keeps us from seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You want to know the hard truth about why so many of us are filled with anxiety? It's, it's because we are engaged first and foremost in seeking our kingdom. We are worried about food and clothing because our primary concern is ourselves and our own advancement and our own comforts. So we are easily stirred to worry when our kingdom is being impacted. However, if we will first and foremost seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then we will have each and everything we need in those efforts. If we are only seeking our own kingdom, then we may or may not receive what we need for those efforts. But a great question to ask in this moment that I think needs to be asked is what about martyrs? If God says He's always going to clothe us if we seek His kingdom, did the martyrs not? I mean, if anybody sought the kingdom of God, it was those who wouldn't back down for the truth of the gospel or were trying to spread the gospel when they were told not to. And yeah, we can read in Fox's Book of Martyrs that, that many Christians were stripped naked and fed to the lions. They were stripped naked and burned at the stake. So where were these promises with them? If you read about uh, um, Tortured for Christ, the classic book, you'll read about Christians in communist Russia, who were thrown into the dungeon to starve to death. Where was their food that's promised here? Well, I think Romans 8 speaks to these things. And it says this, Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is not saying here in our text that if we seek Him first, that life will always be pretty. It will always be easy. It will always be without challenge. It will always even be without hunger or without clothes but our promise is is that if we will seek the kingdom of god we will be indestructible until he's done with us until he's ready to call us home 
And then in that moment, it may get dark. We may not receive the food that we need for life. We may not receive the clothing that we need for life. But as Romans 8 says, nakedness and famine nor anything will separate us from what? The love of God. Then no matter what befalls you, no matter what the test comes back and says medically about what your future holds, no matter if you get that phone call of that person that you love being taken from you, the worst of the worst happens to you The reality is is that the worst of the worst cannot happen to you. The worst of the worst is for God's love to be removed from you. And these verses in Romans 8 tell us that's not going to happen. So even though we will have dark, dark times in our life on this earth, dark times, things that we would never even imagine that we have to endure, The fact remains is that the worst thing, which is God's love being removed from us, can never happen. The worst can never happen. What a great promise that even when God chooses to take what is necessary from life from us, He will never take His love from us. And lastly, Don't be anxious because we are meant to carry our burdens one day at a time. Verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And back, I think Jesus kind of takes a turn back into the very practical here. Life is meant to be taken one day at a time. We we learn in the Lord's Prayer is that He wants to give us what? Daily bread. We learned that a few weeks ago. He wants to give us daily bread. He wants us uh, to be with Him daily. The Scriptures tell us that His mercies, that they're new, brand new, every morning that we have new mercy from God. Every morning. So don't worry about what's coming a week or a month or a year from now. He'll give you grace on that day to deal with that struggle. And He'll give you extra on that day because you're going to need it. But realize is that this relationship that we're to have with our God is a daily relationship. It's every day we wake up and He gives to us the grace that we need for that day. And if we're looking for towards the ten things coming in the future of our life and we're using that grace up we're not being obedient to the scriptures here that that each day has its own trouble and really today is the day of action right i mean so much that that is in the future we can't we're just waiting on like we're waiting on that to happen like we cannot do anything about it but today is the day where He's given us grace to take action, to do the things that need to be done, to to make the choices throughout the day to be obedient to God. And those are where we need His grace on the things that we can change today. So be a person that lives day by day in the grace of God. 
I'm going to ask our musicians to come and I'm going to ask you to stand. First off, let me ask you a question. Do you have God as your Father? There's so much to worry about in life. There's so many things that come up in our life. The greatest question you need to ask yourself is, do I know God as my Father? God has given us, God has given Christ so that you might know Him as Father. And if He gives you Christ, He's going to give you everything else you need in life so you don't have to fear anymore if you would just turn to God. And so, if you would put your faith, if you would trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and make Him the Lord of your life and the Father of your life, He will provide everything that you need. And I would say to, to you, Christian, that, that knows He's your Father, but you've got some stuff going on. You've got decisions to be made in your future. You've got things that, that are just almost overwhelming you. You have a God that loves you and that wants to care for you, that has done so much already for you and wants to continue to help you. So fight anxiety. Fight that sin. It's sin. Confess it to God and ask Him to help you to look to the birds, to look to the grass, and to see the God that's there to serve you and to protect you and to give you all that you need day by day. I'm going to say a word of prayer and I will ask you to respond. I'll be right here, especially if you don't know God as your Father. I would love for you to come down and let's talk about that. If you just need to pray, please do so and, and ask God to move in your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, God, it, worry and anxiety is so easy to, to do. God, there's so much that seems to worry about in our lives. God, help us to acknowledge it for the sin that it is and to fight against it. God, you've given us the means in just everyday life and nature. You've given us the means to see that you are a God who cares for us. God, I pray for anyone here, God, that doesn't know you as Father. God, that they would turn to you so that they would know what it means to have a Father that cares and loves, loves them, that they don't have to be scared anymore. God, move in their hearts. Draw them to yourself this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.